Good morning. If you can turn with me to John chapter 15, we'll be reading verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you have clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in God's sight today. We're reading through the Gospel of John. We took a break for Holy Week, but we're back into the Gospel of John. We're specifically now reading through Jesus' farewell discourse, his extended time celebrating the Passover with his 12 disciples. And in that time, John records an extended conversation, an extended uh, monologue between him and his disciples, really a dialogue, but Jesus is doing most of the talking. And that farewell discourse is sort of a last will and testament that Jesus gives his disciples. He knows he's about to die. The next morning he would be crucified. And so he knows that. And it's sort of a last will and testament that he gives to them. And I had said to you, we're breaking this up into three parts. And each week, I'm going to just use a single verb to base the entire message on. A single verb, a, a command, an imperative, a parting wish that Jesus gives to his disciples. The first one was simply believe. We looked at belief. But today, we're going to look at the word abide. Today's imperative from Jesus, the night he was betrayed, knowing he was about to die, the word is abide. He tells his disciples to abide. He tells us, to abide in him. Jesus communicates this idea with beautiful imagery of a vine and its branches, right? I, my, 
My earliest, one of my earliest childhood memories is of my great-great-uncle's grapevine. Joe Bricado, great-great-uncle, born in Sicily, raised in the United States, but he tended a garden in his old age when I was a little boy. It was, it was a city garden. It was in Brooklyn, New York, surrounded by buildings and asphalt and concrete, but there's this beautiful little garden full of life. And, and he had on a, you know, an overhead trellis a beautiful grapevine. And, and I remember that vividly. One of my earliest memories is standing under that grapevine, looking up into it and seeing, you know, I was probably one or two years old, seeing countless grapes, just an abundance of fruit. It looked like thousands of grapes from my little perspective looking up. And you know, the thing about a productive vine is that there is a one and many aspect to it. Think of a pumpkin patch or a vineyard. There's a one and many aspect to productivity when you think about um, agriculture or horticulture, anything like that. One vine, but many fruit. And Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that idea of one and many. And the key to understanding that productivity, that fruitful living, as a Christian, is abiding. He tells them to abide. Now, traditional cultures, and maybe you were raised in one or your parents or grandparents were raised in a more traditional culture, you will know that, that the community is what is most valued. Almost to the, almost to the, um, um, to the expense of the individual. The community is what's important. Not so much the person. Now, in our culture, not traditional at all, in our culture, it's like we worship the individual. It's the opposite. We don't care as much about the community. We care very much as Americans about ourselves and about the individual and what the individual can dream up and accomplish, right? And so almost at the community's expense, Americans worship the, the individual. And the interesting thing here in John chapter 15 is we see that in Jesus' teaching, he promotes both the community without neglecting the individual. You have it all. Christians don't simply grow alone. They grow together. If you belong to Jesus, if he has saved you and you are following him, you don't simply grow by yourself. That's a very unchristian idea. You do as an individual grow, but we grow together, and that's by his design. So today we're going to talk about how we grow personally as individuals, but how we grow corporately, how Christians grow together, an entire congregation, an entire community of faith. And finally, we're going to talk about growing abundantly, not just kind of, but growing abundantly. So growing personally, growing corporately, and growing abundantly, all right? So the thing about branches is there's a personal aspect to growing in faith as a single branch connected to a larger vine. You can mature and you can ripen and you can be productive if you are grafted like a branch into Jesus. There's no other way of being productive. Jesus is speaking to an agricultural mindset. Think about the apostles. They were fishermen and they were related to farmers and, and, and look at where they are. 
in ancient Palestine, right outside of Jerusalem, which is where they were, there are olive groves and vineyards everywhere. I mean, Matthew tells us they went to the Mount of Olives this evening. Right? Jesus has just said at the end of chapter 14, let's go. It's time to get up and go. So they're, at some point in all of this, they're leaving the supper and they're out traveling and Jesus is continuing this long monologue. And in this context, as they are surrounded by groves and vineyards, he is speaking to them about being a vine and its branches. As a matter of fact, there was a golden vine decorating the outer wall of the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem because vine language was symbolic of ancient Israel. Psalm 80 tells us that God brought a vine out of Egypt. And it says, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. God called his people, Israel, his vine, planted in his vineyard. But over time, things got difficult. Israel turned away from God and Hundreds of years later, the prophet Isaiah said, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Isaiah went on to say, the vineyard of the Lord is the hosts of the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Against the backdrop of Israel's failure, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Vine dresser, uh, gardener, farmer, same idea. So when Jesus says, against that backdrop, I am the true vine, he is fulfilling the hope of Israel's failed attempt to live up to the standards that God had placed when he planted them in the promised land. And again, back to Psalm 80. What's interesting is Psalm 80 describes Israel as a beautiful vine and a vine that failed. And then Psalm 80 asks God this, but let your hand be on the man, sorry, but let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Jesus is saying where where the ancestors and even the current leaders have failed, I am the true vine. And so it follows that any person's fruitfulness is necessarily found only in Jesus. And so he tells them, abide in me, verse 4 and 5, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he said, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And there is that personal, individual aspect of growing in our faith. Jesus is deeply concerned about you as a person. You can't graft Jesus into your life. You must be grafted into his. 
You can't cook up, you can't nurture up your own life. You must be taken up and grafted into His. If you abide in Me, Jesus went on to say in verse 7, if you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So we get more insight into what it means to abide in Jesus. He's talking about listening to His Word, His truth, found now in the Scriptures. He's talking about a life of prayer where you see that your prayers are being answered because your desires are in agreement with Jesus' words. So the very things you're asking for and praying about and hoping for are in total agreement with His will. And so you see Him beginning to answer you because His heart and your heart are one. Why? Because He has grafted you in to His life. He has grafted you as a branch into His vine. And so I think a simple definition for what it means to abide in Jesus as a legit Christian who follows Him is to prayerfully and actively participate in His Word, in His will, and in His work. And those all flow from each other. You're doing His work and wherever you are in life because you know His will. And you know His will because you know His Word. And you care about looking into His Word because you belong to Him. Because He's already grafted. As He said, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. He's grafted you in to His life. And this personal abiding, you abiding as a soul, as an individual, me abiding, that personal abiding cultivates you as a productive branch in His vine. But unless your Christianity becomes more than personal, you won't grow right. Your Christianity, you following Jesus, your expression of personal faith has to be more than just you and Jesus. So let's talk about vines. We've looked at branches. The thing about vines is that there is a corporate aspect to growing in faith. Not just personal, but corporate. There is a body aspect to it. You know, without exception, if you read this passage, every single second person personal pronoun, meaning the word you, every time you see the word you in this passage, it's plural. It's you all. It's all of you. So when he says, abide in me and I in you, he means I will abide in all of you. You all abide in me. When he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's saying, all of you are the branches. Now that's obvious, but it's critical. Have you seen one vine? Have you seen a vine with one branch? Have you seen a tree with one branch? If you've seen a tree with one branch, it has a problem. And the owner is trying to correct the problem. But when you see a vine with one branch and a tree with one branch and a vine with one fruit, you realize there's something wrong. You don't think, oh, that's healthy abundance. No. Many branches is abundance, right? One vine, one tree, but much fruit is the goal here. Christians are productive as we abide in Christ while we're interconnected with one another. 
As Americans, we think often about my productivity, my fruitfulness, me using my gifts and skills to bless others. Jesus wants us to think about us, us, we. As Hebrews chapter 10, I think Bob Kimmel preached on this last summer, just, just a snippet of it though, the author of Hebrews said to the Christians then, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. See, back then, it, it was even easy to not go to church back then. <laughs> and it was even easy back then to, to not think of supporting one another, but he said, encourage one another. I began, maybe this will be helpful for you if, if you feel alone or you're, you're be, you've just become a Christian and you're not sure you know, what it looks like to be a Christian in practical ways. I, I really began to grow personally in my faith um, uh, when I found myself in the middle of two corporate environments. Uh, actually, yeah, two, I didn't mean I was going to two different churches. That's not what I meant. I mean, one church. I went to one church. Um, don't get any ideas. I, 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 uh, I found myself in the middle of two corporate environments. I had peers in Christ, and I had the church of Christ. I don't mean the denomination, the church of Christ. I mean the church, us. I found myself in the midst of peers in Christ, or friends in Christ, and the church of Christ. Friends in Christ, right? Jesus calls his disciples what in this passage? Friends. He says, you're not my servants now, you're my friends. I'm letting you in on what I'm doing. I had friends in Christ, like-minded Christians in like situations. Now, for me at the time, and, and for Becky, it was college. We were in a secular university, and we were Christians together in InterVarsity, and we were, we were together. We had like-minded faith, but we were students in the same town, on the same campus, with many of the same professors, studying for many of the same exams, eating at the same local really bad pizza joints. We had a like experience. And we loved Jesus together. Maybe it's your community group, or maybe it's young mothers trying to learn how to get through those sleepless nights. Or, or maybe it's young dads trying to figure out, how do I deal with these boys as they're growing up and the, they're starting to test my authority in the home. Or, or maybe it's people learning how to care for elderly parents and they're, they're encouraging one another. They see each other. They're going through this together. Peers in Christ, friends in Christ, like-minded Christians in like situations. You need peers in Christ who are where you are. We've experienced what you've experienced, but you also need the church of Christ. Friends in Christ is not enough because they only see life like you do. You need more than that. You need a broader perspective. And in the church, Jesus offers a multifaceted diversity of experiences and spiritual gifts. Young mothers asking empty nesters how you get through the early years of parenting. Am I going to get to where you're at now? How did you get through it? I'm in the midst of it right now. I, I don't know what end is up. Or, or the elders recruiting someone who was once unemployed for a good period of time because they're trying to minister to somebody who's unemployed now for the first time. And maybe those elders, maybe they have wisdom, but maybe they don't have the right experience to encourage that person. And the elders, knowing the congregation, find somebody and say, hey, 
We know you've walked through this. We're working with somebody who's going through it right now for the first time. Can we put you both in touch? As we shepherd this individual, can you also provide encouragement and support from your experience and comfort them like God comforted you back when you went through this? The Church of Christ is a multifaceted diversity of experiences and gifts. So the peers in Christ and the Church of Christ, I really began to grow in my faith when those two things and those two dynamics of corporate faith, corporate Christianity came together. Corporate growth is as old as the church itself. If you read the book of Acts and you look at the very end of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit gave birth to the global church in Jerusalem, you'll notice that the Christians, the first Christians, were meeting in these two ways. They met, uh, Luke tells us at the end of Acts 2, they met in their homes, in their private homes, and it says they met in the temple courts. So you have that intimate, private dynamic can't fit too many people in your house. And then you have that corporate, public, spectacle dynamic of unity and diversity. That's how the gardener, to use Jesus' words, that's how the gardener designed the new humanity after Christ rose from the dead, the vine of Jesus Christ. We grow in faith, we grow in Christ, both personally and corporately. That sounds basic, but I'm telling you, we have to keep remembering that until Jesus comes back because it's easy to forget. Let's put it in these words. Imagine him saying this to us today. I am the Wi-Fi network. I am the true Wi-Fi network. And my father is the IT manager. As a device cannot maintain productivity by itself unless it connects to the Wi-Fi, neither can you unless you're logged into me. I am the Wi-Fi. You are the devices. Whoever connects to me and I to him, he it is that achieves productivity. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Is he speaking your language now? You get it? Have you ever been to work and the power went out? Everyone goes home. Right? Without a bunch of computers and the internet, you can't get anything done. Look how intelligent you are. And when we put our heads together and the Wi-Fi's out, we can't do anything. So everyone goes home. You see what Jesus is saying now? It's not just you can't do anything by yourself. It's you all can't do anything unless you are logged into me. That's productivity, Jesus says. So here's the takeaway. Seek to grow as a co-worker to one another. Co-workers. Partners. Partners together. Brothers and sisters Seek to grow as a partner and a co-worker to your brothers in Christ, your sisters in Christ, your mothers in the Lord, your fathers in the Lord. A church where everyone is, we need to hear this now because we're coming out of this pandemic, a church where everyone is blessed because everyone is serving. A church where everyone is receiving because everyone's giving. It doesn't mean that everyone needs money. Some people need friendship. Some people, some people need a spiritual kick in the pants. But the point is everybody is giving. So everybody's receiving. Now listen to this. And a place where no one is simply taking. A place where no one is simply consuming. We have to ask that question. 
Am I as a Christian in the vine simply consuming? Simply taking? Let's talk about parasites. We've looked at vines and we've looked at branches, but let's talk about parasites because you can grow in a stunted way. You can grow in a deformed way. One definition, I found this definition for a parasite. An organism that lives in or on another organism, its host, and benefits by deriving nutrients, listen to this, at the host's expense. This gets back to the traditional culture versus contemporary American culture, right? If you're in the traditional culture, the individual gets stomped on for the sake of the community. In America, the community gets stomped on for the sake of the individual. And that is parasitic. There's a difference between growing personally and growing individualistically. That's what's not good. Individualism, yes, you're all individuals, don't misunderstand me. You're not all part of the ether or you know, one drop in the ocean. You're actual people that God intended to create and he loves you specifically. You're individuals. I'm speaking against, Jesus is speaking against individualism, which tells you that your greatest good is to express yourself, to invent yourself, to reinvent yourself, to be yourself, to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, to follow your dreams when you wish upon a star, to fulfill your own goals and objectives at the expense of your family at the expense of your church. That's individualism. Let's talk about another big one, consumerism. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a competitive market and you can't go to Target and buy stuff. I'm not saying that. Consumerism is a problem because it tells you that your greatest investment is in what pleases you the most. You spend your money, you invest your assets in what most benefits you and your family. You invest in future security. You invest in your hobbies. You invest in your personal health. You invest in you. Kind of like the, the show Parks and Rec. Treat yourself, right? Like that's treat yourself. It's like we're a society of treat yourself people investing in what pleases us the most. These mentalities are parasitic to the church's growth and to yours as individuals. Individualism and consumerism stunts your growth as an individual and stunts our growth as a congregation. Unless your faith, unless your approach to following Jesus is about both Jesus and his people, you're going to rot. Look at verse 6. If anyone, Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown to the fire, and burned. Again, when you look at a tree, a big old tree that has one branch, you go, wow, there was a problem. In order to, in order to save that tree, somebody had to hack down all of the filth and disease and rot. And when you look at a vine, and you see one grape, you, you go, either somebody picked all the grapes, right, or there's something wrong with the vine. 
And obviously, you know, from a biological perspective, there are more signs than that. But Jesus is warning us. This is serious stuff. I hope everybody is listening to what Jesus says. Now listen, if you're among the church, but you don't love Jesus, right? If you're religious, if you're a church goer, but you don't know Jesus, you're not here for Jesus. You're here for something else. You're here for the donuts, the delicious food in the back, right? Or you're here because, you know, kids need a religious upbringing. It's good for them, whatever. If, if you're a part of the church family, but you don't love Jesus, you may be headed for the burn pile. If you do love Jesus, but you're not invested in the lives of the people behind you and in front of you and around you, if, if you're home and you're streaming with us, look, if you're home for a health reason, I get it. That's fine. We're, that's why we still offer the stream. But if you're home for convenience sake, or if you're sitting here and not contributing for convenience sake, then Jesus is saying, you're unfruitful. Maybe you're not some rotted branch that's going to get burned up someday when Jesus comes back, but maybe you're just part of the vine and you're dead weight. You're part of the vine, but you're unfruitful. You're part of the vine, but you're not part of its growth. And that's just sad. And so this is a warning to all of us because we fit into any of these categories. We either don't love Jesus and we're not following him and we're headed for eternal destruction because when you see fire, that doesn't mean pruning. That means destruction. Or you're a part of this body because Jesus loves you and he's brought you here, but you're not living up to your potential because you're focused on you. That's sad, too, because he's doing a beautiful thing, and, and you can't see it, and you're not a part of it. And so you know what he's going to do to you because he loves you too much? He's going to prune you, and pruning is painful. We don't want to be pruned. We're always being pruned all the time, right? We're like that tree that looks ugly because it got hacked up. Why? So that he could save it. So either you're headed for the burn pile or Jesus wants to prune you. And pruning is painful, but we've all got to go through it because without pruning, the vine can't be productive. And Jesus loves his vine and he wants it to be productive. So watch that you aren't becoming a parasite yourself. We have an opportunity to grow abundantly, everybody. Abundantly. The pandemic's been hard. It's easy to get cynical. It's easy to have a defeatist mindset. It's easy to criticize one another. And it's easier to be too critical. Uh, it's easy to take criticism too easily and interpret things too personally. But we have an opportunity to grow abundantly as we move forward in life and in history. We grow personally. We grow corporately, but always abundantly. Jesus went on to say in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. Listen to why he's telling them all this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Plural again. I'm telling you all this because I want you to have my joy, all of you. And I want your joy together to be full. That's abundance. Jesus wants us to have his joy 
together. And he wants us to have it abundantly. Not just kind of, abundantly. It's not feeling joy through individualism or feeling joy through consumerism. I don't even know that that's joy. It's probably happiness. Consumerism and individualism sometimes leads to happiness for a time, for a time. But joy is permanent and joy only comes from him. And he says, I want you to have it abundantly and together. And it comes to us by the very opposite means of individualism and consumerism. Abundant joy in Jesus comes through selfless love. He says, a man lays down his life for his friends. That's the greatest kind of love, he says. Somebody laying down their life for somebody else. Remember a few weeks ago, John chapter 12, um, all these Gentiles are coming and they want to hear about what Jesus is doing and the disciples said, hey, all these people are here to see you and Jesus said, not right now. What did he say? Now it makes more sense because it was weird a few weeks ago when he said this. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We drove up here and saw those beautiful flowering trees um, up the path. You know, the kaleidoscope of spring's colors. And actually, the abundant, the abundant productivity of harvest time, all the crops coming in in September and October, all that abundance at the end of the year, and all of the beauty that you see right now, it is all the result of a lot of dying. Biologically speaking, a lot of death has to take place for you to see that beauty out there and for you to reap the kind of harvest that you celebrate at Thanksgiving. All sorts of dying have to take place in the biosphere. And Jesus is saying selfless love, unconditional giving is what produces abundance. That's where abundance comes from in heaven's economy. Selfless giving, unconditional love by a man who is committed to dying for our sins. That's what produced the beauty that I see before me when I look out upon all these precious souls. The beauty that I am looking at right now, all of it, came because one seed fell to the ground and died. And before he did that, he told his disciples, and he's telling us now, abide in me. You all abide in me. We prove that we are his disciples by doing the same. Our selfless love. In practical ways, our selfless love brings abundance. So we don't simply grow by ourselves we grow together. It must be both, but it cannot be just one. Jesus has chosen us. He's chosen you. He's chosen us, and he's grafted us into his vine for everlasting fruitfulness, for beautiful 
productivity. That does come through suffering. That does come through sacrificial selflessness. So seek to grow as a co-worker and a partner to others who are also connected to Jesus. If each of us asks the question, how can I help the whole flourish? Whether it's you just, God calls you to just help one person or whether it's a group of people, whatever. But if each of us asks the question, how can I help so that the whole can flourish? That's abundance. Even thinking that way is abundance. So let's grow up together, huh? Let's grow up together. Let's cultivate something beautiful for Jesus. All right? Let's pray. Our Lord God, our Father in heaven, we thank you that your son Jesus Christ chose us. I don't know that any of us would have chosen him. It seems like the apostles hadn't chosen him. And I don't know that we did either. So thank you that you have chosen us. You have appointed us to bear fruit that will last. That's amazing, Father, that you have appointed us to bear fruit. Help us to get in line with your plan, with, 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 with your agricultural vision for the human experience, for our lives, for this church community, for Westminster and all of Carroll County. Help us, help us to grow something beautiful for our neighbors here. Help us, help us to grow something that will last so that, so that we can can help each other and, and in the months to come and the years to come, look back and give thanks. Not because we've done anything wonderful, but because you've done it through us. Not because we were perfect. We're falling all over the place, Father. Uh, we know that we're going to hurt one another and we're going to make mistakes. But help us to see things as Jesus sees them here in this passage. Help us to abide in him. And Father, if there's anyone here who does not know or believe or is unsure if they are grafted into this vine called Jesus Christ and His church, Lord, uh, encourage them to speak to one of us. And Lord, may we all find life in Christ. Amen.